The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. I'll tell you what, you better buckle up for this episode because you're going to see emotions like you haven't seen before on Trading Secrets. You will see highs, you will see yells, you will see blood boiling, and you even see tears and moments of silence and breakdowns. Because yes, The Tinder Swindler is a documentary on Netflix that is out there to serve for education and also entertainment. But this isn't entertainment today. This is real life. This is a person who is taken for what now is $300,000. And you'll hear her story. If you haven't seen Tinder Swindler on Netflix, make sure you give it a watch because there is a lesson you will take out of it that you can apply to your life or your parents' life or your partner's life or your kid's life or your friend's life that will put them in a safer position. It's a very, very challenging story, a very, very difficult one to endure but it's one that we have to address. And so today we have Cecilia on. Now, before we bring on Cecilia and ring in the opening bell, I just want to let you know the Restart Roadmap is now out for pre-sale, officially out. And we had such a great first week. We were trending number one in motivation and speaking. And if you could do me the biggest favor in the world, the biggest compliment I could get is if you go to Amazon and you type in the Restart Roadmap and you pre-order a hard copy, it would mean the world to me. This is a book for anyone rethinking the most critical life choices in the slightest way or in the most material way from where you work, the industry in, where you live and why. If you're unsure in the slightest bit of even managing a relationship with your boss, negotiating for yourself, or taking a massive next step into a whole different field, professionally, personally, if you need the slightest bit of a restart, this book has eight strategies to help you do so. And you might use all eight strategies, but I can guarantee you'll at least implement one. Pre-order now, just go to Amazon, the Restart Roadmap. Check it out. And thank you for being here for another episode of Trading Secrets, hopefully one you can't afford to miss. Let's ring in the bell. Whether or not you're in the dating pool or on the apps, you most definitely have heard of the dating app called Tinder, where many spend hours a day swiping through thousands to find the one which is exactly what our guest today thought she had found, when in actuality, out of Tinder's 75 million monthly active users, she found a true con artist. He went by Simon Leviv, and he was pretending to be a well-off jet setter and son of Israeli businessman, the king of diamonds, Leviv. Cecile fell in love with a man who was scamming women by taking them out, showing them this super luxurious lifestyle. Champagne, private jets, Rolls Royce, security, drivers, everything and anything, gifts, and making them fall in love with him. When they trusted him, he would then tell them 
that he was in serious trouble with a dangerous man, convinced them to pay him in cash, open credit cards, take out loans, and then use that cash to pay for other women's outings and gifts. It was the definition of a Ponzi scheme. And we're not talking a little money here and there. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars for each woman. When Cecilia and the other women found out, they were determined to bring him down. Fast forward to now, there is a trending hit Netflix documentary that is all over Netflix and not only the United States, but the whole world. And on top of it, Simon, for the first time, has just spoke out last week. If you haven't seen it yet on Netflix, you definitely should. But either way, we're so lucky to have her here with us to share her story. Cecilia, thank you so much for being on Trading Secrets today. We're so excited to have you. Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me. As I, said, I was a bit shocked when I got your message that you wanted to speak to me, actually. <laughs> we will take it. So so actually, for people that are listening, can we get confirmation, Cecily, that you are a fan of the Bachelor franchise, oh, your Bachelor oh, Nation? I eat up everything. And you, <laughs> both you and, and Caitlin, I was like, I love you as a couple. So I was like, I've been following along. And yeah, <laughs> so I was like, oh, God. <laughs> We've gotten so many podcast requests, you know, but this was like the, the one that I really, really wanted to do. Oh, well, that is <laughs> because of both. Yeah. That is so, so nice to you, Caitlin. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I will pass yeah. that. So she's on Dance with the Stars tour. She actually gets to come home for 24 hours. So I'm going to see her today. I will pass that on. And the background yeah. story, guys, is I was just watching this documentary. I see it's trending. I'm like, okay, let's let's put it on. And I, I'm seeing and hearing this story of this complete fraudulent scumbag taking advantage uh, of these women and, and doing it in such a uh, meticulous, calculated, emotional grabbing way. And for me, like a lot of the work we do with Restart and Trading Secrets, one of my motivations is nothing. You think about like what gets you going. Nothing makes me more pissed off when people are, are taking advantage of humans like this, whether it's professionally or financially, financially it makes me go nuts. And so I just DM Cecily and I was like, listen, we got to have you on trading secrets. And Cecily was like, listen, I'll come on. But like, I'm not here to talk about like investments and stuff. I'm like, no, we just want to talk about your story and learn more about it. Because if there's one person that listens to this that can avoid fraud because of your experience, then today was a win. Yes. And that's right. why we have gone public, you know, as well. So... Thank you for for sure. And I know going public has actually created uh, a lot of upside for you, but also a lot of downside too. So later in the interview, we're going to get into some of the challenges you've had to face and some of the trolls that have come at you guys in different angles for just telling your story, which is just mind boggling. But before we do that, for anyone that hasn't seen um, the Tinder Swindler, go check it out. But for you, Cecily, before you swiped right, on Simon, right? And before you connected with him, what was your professional life like? Because I remember in the documentary, it did say, I believe in your profile, it said IT Consulting, University of London. So tell us a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, I I had done my bachelor in, in IT in Norway and I'd been half a year in Australia. I always like to kind of challenge myself and be working as a UX designer, user experience designer in IT. So always been interested in, in, in people, you know, and designing beautiful apps and websites and IT systems. And then I went to London to do my master's in design because like my bachelor was so general and I wanted, yeah, I 
wanted to learn more. So that's how I ended up in, in London, actually. And that was actually when I met Simon, I was finishing up my master thesis and it was on storytelling in virtual reality. And that's a fake reality. So maybe it was like, <laughs> oh my God, but I love, I love virtual reality and I love all new tech. So it's always been something um, that I love doing. So that was like, I was like finishing up, was working part-time in an IT yeah. consultancy and was writing my master thesis. So and so you're still then technically you're working part-time, but you're technically still a student at this point. Yeah, I am. Okay. And how, tell me a little bit about your financial profile. Cause I think the first thing people see when they see this and they see how much money ended up taking from you is they think about how, how did she get access to all this money? Which I want to ask you about, but what does your financial profile look like Debt, income and stuff like that before you swipe right on Simon? Mm. I own my own apartment in, in Oslo, had managed to buy that. So was paying rent on that, but I had that as, as value. So, and then I had my student loan, which is a bit better in the one in the US I've seen, but oh, yeah. it, it's a very good loan to have actually. It's very low interest and it's, it's a very good one to have. It sounds bad to say good to have loans, but it's a, of all the loans you should pay down, that shouldn't be the one to pay down because it's yeah. So that's all I had. And like, of course, in Norway, credit cards is very, so you always had like a MasterCard because it's always good to have as a backup, but no other loans was a very normal, like, yeah, you had your house loan and and student loan and was, and I was renting out my apartment at the time in Oslo because I was then in in London. Gotcha. So you you own an apartment at this point, Mm. you have some rental income coming in from that. You have Mm. student debt in the United States. We have $1.7 trillion of student debt. So your average person's carrying like, a ton of ton of student debt. There's 45 million Americans that have student debt. What's the, like, the, I'm just curious, what does the balance of student debt look like in your world at this time? It's oh no, not, not a lot. I was paying down maybe 200 pounds per month. So for me overall with my salary, it was not a lot. I was so 200 pounds a month. And then that, that, how long would that take you to pay off whatever the student debt was? 25 years or something. Okay. Gotcha. So it gives you an idea of like what the student debt is and very reasonable payoff. And you're making decent money in this role. IT. Yeah. At at that point I did not, I went down very much in pay from Norway because in the UK, when you enter salary, it wasn't, I had worked already, but it wasn't as good, but now I've gotten, (laughs) now I'm much better money. I like to hear that. Like yeah, so as, a, as a corporate banker, when I was at like the peak, the base, we, it was a signing bonus. We had to talk about this in the book that I just coming out. The signing bonus was 110, but the base was 165. And then I had commission on top of that based on performance is a base salary in it around, Oh, well, this is us dollars and you get paid in pounds. What, what is like the range of, I just like for anyone that's listening, has no mine, idea mine was so work. bad because I was so stupid. You know, when you come to a new country and you don't really know, and you're just grateful getting a job. So of that's course. how stupid I was. So I took a salary that was like 34,000 pounds per, per year. Got and it. I worked okay. half that, half the time as part-time. So, but they knew they could get that out of me. The company was kind of, so they took us cheap as they could. But now I'm making like 52,000 pounds, but I'm going to go up. So I'm still on the lower end, but that is partly because I really love the company and my team. And for me, sometimes money isn't it all, especially what I've been going through. You need a good employer, a good team around you. But now I'm switching. So now I can make upwards to 92,000 pounds 
Gotcha. But it's still not the IT salaries that I've seen in the US. Those are insane. Yeah, the IT consulting salaries. I mean, maybe yeah, you should God. make a move out here because those are, <laughs> those are nuts. But I think there's so I many know. lessons in what you already just said about like making sure that you, you're in a company and you're in a career that you're not just chasing the dollars. And that clearly is what you did and how you're doing it and what you're still doing. When you met, like when you grew up though, cause I'm trying to, I want to compare the differences of like Simon's lifestyle to what your lifestyle was before. So when you grew up, did you grow up in a middle-class family? Were you ever exposed to these things of luxuries that Simon was putting out like these private jets and these Rolls Royces or is that, was this just a complete shock, this lifestyle? It's, I don't think it's a shock because if you live in London, it's all around you. But no, True. when I was growing up, my dad was a nurse. My mom was a teacher. You can imagine what kind of conversations was around the dinner table. So I think your values comes with that. So no, but a middle class, I would say. But Norway is such a different country. And I think people need to understand which country I'm from. We are a very trusting people. We are, as you would say, maybe a bit naive because we trust the banks. We trust governments. I see that like when I just here in the UK, they don't trust the government. And for me, that's such a weird thing. So yeah, no, my life was very like in Norway, you have a very middle class. You you have this thing that you should not separate yourself from the rest. Interesting. We have something called the A4 life because an A4 paper, you know, the size of a paper, that's a very normal. Yeah. You have a house and you have a dog, you know, two kids and everyone is just chasing for that. So if you do something different, that's not a good thing. So you don't see a lot of Lamborghinis in the streets in Oslo. It's not that kind of society. And then I moved to London and I was like, what is this? Or Tinder in London, even before I met Simon. Like, that's what I meant. It's like those pictures Simon had wasn't as different than a lot of finance guys in London. And everyone's like, wow, God. And I was like, especially in Norway, so difficult for them to understand. Maybe in LA as well. I don't know. There is a lot of riches out there. There are a lot of rich people in LA. Yeah. LA and New York City, that lifestyle is extremely prevalent. And I think bringing context to the fact that in Norway, that's the way you guys grew up. That's the culture is so important because in the United States, that's not the culture, right? I mean, this is a capitalistic society. What are you doing every day to get ahead? You know, you're all, this is the constant conversation. Fraud is like a big thing. We, we have been taught as consumers and employees and in 2022 to literally watch every angle and double check everything because you can't trust anyone. And it's interesting growing up in the culture you did and how kind of like a, a foundational happiness is more of the overarching theme. Do you mm -hmm. think that he strategically went after people from cultures that have that type of background? I think what we know is that he went all over Europe. So I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, that's true. That's um, true. But I think that he met a lot of women and I think he made a big net. I've gotten a lot of girls that met him and or gone out. Now, well, I went on a date with him and I just saw red flags and blah, 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 you know. So right. he went on a lot of dates. And I think he just saw qualities like I'm friends with Eileen and Pernilla now, you know. Yeah. We're very similar as people. He he saw that. And I think he saw the nurturing kind. It's not so bad to say that about yourself, but 
I've talked to some of those people that are like, oh, I would never have helped him. And I was like, well, if you think you're in a relationship with someone, you must have, you must understood what kind of emotional thing you're invested in. Of it's course. almost like, like someone that you're like, Caitlin is coming and saying, I need your help. Not, you know her much better, but you are that invested in it. And can you help me? And it's, it's a very difficult situation to be in, to say no, because they know they have you. And if you are that kind of person that, you are maybe a bit naive or kind hearted and want to help. And you see the best in people. He, he went after those kind of people. Uh, yeah. I know. I, I don't know that many girls from, I know there's a lot of cases in Germany and yeah. several in the Netherlands and, and I know someone else in Sweden as well, but so maybe I don't know if it's for Yeah. Says. But I think, I think you're right. Like if maybe it was a certain personality type that he knew that he could uh, manipulate that just worked well for like his strategy of manipulation. And I think to your point, what's really important is I agree with you. I actually at the dinner table the other day, we kept doing these what if scenarios as my four close buddies in town. And one of the what if scenarios were, what if you're arrested, you need $50,000 bail, who's going to be the first person you call? And I was surprised all four of them call said me. And so I, it was kind of an eye-opening experience. I was like, oh yeah, like I would absolutely, if any one of those guys called me and said, I need 50K immediately wired, I would do it in a second because my loyalty to those who give me loyalty is extremely, extremely high. But I will say I'm very selective with who I actually will give my loyalty to. Yeah. So that comes in the question I have for you, Cecily. Yeah. I don't think the documentary did a good enough job of giving us context of what the relationship was actually like. like So when you swiped right, tell me a little bit about how many times you had seen him, how many times maybe you'd spoken to him. What was the strength of the relationship before he started to ask for things from you? No, I, to be very honest with you, you know, like we met up in London several times later on, but then that's when like the threats started coming in. It was throughout January and then, he said the threats have gone worse and that he needed to be keeping away for a couple of weeks. It was always a couple of weeks. And, but we talked on the phone. It was such a, I look at it later, a very love bombing relationship. I didn't think about it because love bombing has been talked much more about in the later years, but yeah. it was morning calls, like midday calls, video calls. It's not even like, and I think it's now I see it as a huge, but he was so available and I had so missed that in a relationship, someone who was prioritizing you or feeling that something was special, you know, and I jumped very quickly into relationships and I love being loved. And he, I think you could see that it was a very deep one, very early on. And he was opening up about his, you know, childhood and had long conversations on the phone in the evenings, which I have been so surprised knowing what he's been doing because I don't get it if you know what I mean because I had long video calls and long conversations with him about his past and his child and his family who he is as a person what he wants in life I was questioning him about the people that he surrounded himself with because I could see that they were just exploiting him and using him you know I thought so it sounds very weird to go back in time and talk to him as a victim like that but for me it seemed to me that he didn't have a lot of close friends, which was the reality maybe, but, right. and that I saw almost myself as a savior of him to show him more of a normal life that you don't need all the 
blitzing. I'm from Norway, you know. I just wanted yeah. to. I have it in a text. I said, "Can we just have taco night as my place?" Because I was like, "That's what Keep I want." Uh, yeah, like to to not have all this. I didn't. I didn't need it. I I wanted him because I you being around him and the persona that he created was very yeah. magnificent. Everyone is talking about magnetism that when you're with him and he puts on, you want to be around that. It's a very he has something. He's just so, using it very wrongly. So it's so a very his, so he has this unique kind of emotional intelligence, this yes. way of commanding that like you have never experienced in your life. And I think another aspect that isn't coming as clearly maybe in the documentary, but I have to say like before in Norway, I have had a lot of friends and you were close to my family. And at that point in time, I was not very, I didn't feel so comfortable in London. I didn't enjoy myself in London so much. It's a very scary city for me. I'm from like Oslo. Yeah. 600,000 people is the max. So suddenly you live in this metropole where do I want to stay here? Do I don't want to? And I didn't have much contact with my family. I didn't have any close friends that could actually see how I was doing properly. So it felt a very, I think he just so many factors that entered that it ended up so badly for me that I didn't have anyone to just, you know, see me and just like Cecilia, like yeah. slap out of it. It, yeah. it was like worst case scenario for all the moving things in your life, right? You just moved to a new city. You're feeling somewhat insecure. Anytime yeah. you're feeling insecure is someone who's moved to an own city and, mm. and you know one, like you get very down on yourself and you do anything to find security. And then you have this master professional manipulator who's using, and I think the reason I'm repeating this is because I want people to be aware of this, right? This manipulation is coming in the form of looking, he's giving his vulnerability because vulnerability yeah. will create some form of emotional attachment. And then once he gives the vulnerability, he's, he's victimizing himself so that you are now compassionate about his life and you're feeling as though other people are utilize, like using him. And then you're willing to do, you now have committed this strength of a relationship that is that's unprecedented and usually doesn't exist because people don't do a lot of those things and not all those moving parts happen at once another thing is that i felt that he had just helped me as well like you know being taken on on that private i know it sounds so stupid but i was very grateful you know i'd never been on a private jet before i never seen a plane land so it given me experiences that i was really grateful for and he has just given me so much i know it sounds so bad but he i felt that he had helped me become more confident like he had given me so much i felt so when he came for me in need how it's difficult when you felt someone had helped you or given you something. Are you yeah. then going to say no for, and at that point in time, I just have to say it was, I want to play you the recording when he's asking me, it's not that he says, can you give me money? <laughs> Cause that would be red flags, you know, but as a, as a girlfriend, can you connect your American express with mine? That is his ask. <laughs> I want to hear the recording. Know. Yeah, I want to hear the recording. But as you're yeah, saying, no, I send it later. But okay. I'm, just so, I'm just so frustrated sometimes because all is context. Yeah, I, I get it. But because when I see, oh, I would never give a hundred thousand pounds. I was like, no, it wasn't. That's where it started with. They bring you in, put in some small crumbs, and then they have you. And, and then to get important. out of it, then. Yeah. These are such important things that people need to be listening to, right? Because this story is leverage. This is the story of leverage. He's providing something. And then in a very, very fucked up, toxic way, he's using money and experience as leverage for debt. 
And people do this all the time. Your boss might even do this. Like they'll take you out, you know, in small ways, it's tough to compare the two, but your boss yeah. will take you out to like a nice dinner and expense it on the card. But in return, they'll, you know, maybe they hold that over your head. If anyone's doing that in your life, it is extremely, extremely toxic and you need to check people. And this is a good story to learn from. But he does all these things, right? Holds you accountable. Now, at this point, you said you, you haven't seen him as much, but how many hours do you think you've spent talking to him before he puts that first request for money in? Oh my God, there's so... Well, that's interesting. No, like that's very interesting. I never... But that must have been... How many? Like a couple hours every... Oh my God, let me... Oh, yeah, take your time. Four, yeah, 30. Let me, can I put up my... Yeah, so don't do, Take your time thinking about <laughs> it. so bad at my... But uh, while you're doing the thought process yeah. behind that, the reason I ask is because that's what people talk about the Bachelor franchise a lot. And they'll yeah. say like, they'll say like, oh, how do you fall in love after two and a half months? And I, my response to them was, well, when there's a moment, like suppose there's a day that I was spending with Becca at the time for 18 hours yeah. straight. Think about it. I was with her for 18 hours straight, no phone, no TV, no internet, no friends, no distraction. Think about your like my partner today. Caitlin and I haven't been together 18 hours straight because of all of our travel and stuff in like over the course of two months. So that's why I think knowing how many hours you probably spent with them puts in context like the, the tightness of the relationship. Yeah, I would say like if you say think about like maybe two hours per day and it took like for me, it went very quickly before towards for example, Pranilla, it took six weeks before he mentioned to get some help, you know, so that is fairly quickly. I think maybe 150 hours or something like because we were together full days over sometimes yeah. when we were then and then maybe two hours, two, three hours each day. So 150, 200 like and he keeps you warm with messages as well throughout the day. So it's like a it's a very strong, like a very it's very passionate, right? Because you're working as well. You have to remember, like I was working full time. It was not that I was traveling. Like I was in the situation. I think he saw me as a proper milking cow. And I can see that compared to the other girls because I didn't get any. Like not to, it sounds so bad to say, but I've always been looking, when I'm looking back at it, it was like, I didn't receive anything. So everyone's like, oh, he flew you all over Europe. You had the expensive dinners and lived at fancy hotels. I was like, no, I didn't. Because <laughs> I, you're like, I didn't get my money's worth. <laughs> yeah, but I was just like, it was just like, but it's worse. Like when, but I didn't. I was like, I, I was in because I had a serious job. I couldn't, as everyone that has a job that you need to be at, I couldn't just drop it away. And I, I saw, I think that he saw that as a golden opportunity as well. You know, here I have a woman that is crazy in yeah. love with that would do everything. And she's stuck there. Uh, so, I got it. Okay. I'm with you now. So we got about 150, 200 hours of connection. You got six weeks and we are just minutes away from getting to the moment where he asks you for the money and you give him the money. The last question I have before that is you did talk about red flags. Yeah. And so I, know, I remember one of the red flags you said is, you saw the marks on his back and you questioned him about the fact mm -hmm. he was in prison a little bit. So mm -hmm. my question to you is, did you ever think when he told you he was in prison to do further research on that? Or were there any red flags that were exposed that you said, I need to look further into this? Not before, because I think that his explanations were so truthful. And I think he's so great at the theater that he, he puts up. So I truly just... I just trusted him and I never met, I never been in these types of situations before. So I didn't think of actually doing more research because I just felt really, really bad for him at, at that point, actually, to be very honest with you. 
And he told you he went to prison for what? He said that he was in the in the weapons industry. That was his uh, because before he entered there, and it was just kind of funny to see that that's what he did. He did years ago. <laughs> that he said he was in the weapons industry with his last fraud. And that he had some enemies that, again, oh God, I hate talking about it because it's like, I, for so me, sorry. like, of course, but I have to say, you know, when I talk, hands, hindsight is a fucking gift, you know, like, it's a gift <laughs> I should have just ran, I should have ran. And huh. I think that's, I don't know what kind of person, like I've grown very much. I don't know what, what kind of person I was when I was listening to this and I wasn't running. I just fully trusted what he said, but he said he was in the weapons industry and I'm sorry if I'm laughing and I tell the story and that he had enemies that had turned his backs on him and they were trying to do a weapons deal. And then he said he was incarcerated on false pretenses and he, he didn't talk so much about it. He was more about how all his friends had turned his back on him. Like even his ex-girlfriend, he showed me some pictures of her, yeah. which may be a previous fraud victim. And she had turned his back on him. And the only one that was still there was Avishai. That was still his business partner. So Avishai meant a lot to him while all the others and while in prison, he had this, he had visits from a rabbi and he was really, he was very about being Jewish and how he's been so manhandled almost all his life. Gotcha. It's stuff to question, like when you're sitting there, you know, when you get into those type of topics, yeah. it's always a bit difficult and it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Uh, it's yeah. difficult. And he's completely again, victimizing himself. Now we're going to get into the first request that, that he asked you, yeah. or Cecily, but the last thing I want to ask before we get into the money of it, yeah. you talked about his business partner. We know that he had his bodyguard. And we know that on your first flight with him, he had a woman there that he claimed was his, I think, ex-wife, and they had a child with them. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back on it, are all three of those people accomplices and part of this grand master plan? There are different answers to that. I can be quick. Avisha is totally in on it. That he doesn't get more talk about him is a shame. He is totally in. He knows everything. They're childhood friends. So he knows that Simon Levive is not Simon Levive. It's Shimon Hayut. So. so he's like the CEO of this plan. I would say that they're very much like they had conversations about diamonds and diamonds order in English, pretending to speak to someone in another room than I was in, but knowing that I would listen in. Who does that? You know, it's those type of immersive theater tactics that they did, which is just insane to me because they, had oh. no, they didn't do business with diamonds. Peter is a bit, I, I don't know if you listen to the podcast that was following along with the documentary. Yep. If you haven't, please, because it's amazing. Yes. And where, me, let's take a quick break there. Where can people find the podcast or what's the name of it? It's called Making a Swindler. Okay. Uh, you can get it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, but it's part of Netflix, one of Netflix's podcast series. But Making a Swindler is three parts. Because much more in detail on his accomplices and other victims and that it isn't only women and like how big of a scheme it is and that this goes back to Simon's childhood as well. So it's it's mind blowing. So this is so much bigger than people. And what about the, the ex-wife and the child? Yeah. Is there a role? I have very much resentment towards her. I'm trying not to, trying to have grace in these type of situations. Because to me, he said that they, it, this was a one night stand, and but they were in friendly terms and she was there so he could visit her, that, so he could see his see kid. Oh, gotcha. And then I got to know that this is one of his ex-fraud victims. They were in a 
committed relationship that she thought. So think about it. She gets pregnant with someone and then you realize that you've been defrauded. <laughs> so you can yeah. imagine what kind of maybe Stockholm syndrome, love. There. He had defrauded her. Maybe he gave her some money. She still feels that maybe his daughter should see his, her dad. I don't know. There are a lot of factors. She told me she was really upset back in 2019 and called me because I said that she was part of it. And yep. she meant she was just there that weekend and nothing else. But she received gifts. She was taking the jets. She took a lot of money that you know is from fraud. Yeah. How could you do that? I'm or why were you there? So I'm not sure. But I, I have sympathy for the fact that there is an, an army of people that are every day manipulating this person. I have no sympathy for the fact that this person went through what she did, has a child because yeah. of it, and then is there side by side participating in watching someone about to take the same plunge. That I don't have that I have no sympathy. No, I, I just like, I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm trying, you know, when you go on these type of, it's just so bad to be so tough, you know, and other people's sure. lives, we don't know. But of course, if she would have just done something or not just even lied or like, don't lie when you were on the stand to get this guy in jail and say, he's a great guy. You don't know him. Right. And, and, and Peter, as I said, like Peter did a lot of things to me. Like he had meetings with me in Amsterdam, thanking me for the job I was doing and how much I was helping them. He said that he was the leader of the Israeli security team. He was the one calling Simon saying, Simon, your enemies have found you. You need to leave. So your plane is ready. Okay. You're taking a big risk now staying with Cecilia, you know, like it's, how big of an operation is that if he was duped as well, it needs to be even bigger than, then Simon had to hire a false security team with a lot of false documents for Peter. I That's think the more highly is that Peter really enjoyed partying. You could see Peter partying. Oh yeah. So he was, he, then he was, that's how he was getting paid. That was the leverage for Peter. All right. So we now understand the full context, the time, the hours, the relationship in the army of people working against you in the worst ways that humans can work against you. Then the first request comes in and my understanding was for $25,000. Is that correct? No. How much was the first request for? Well, it's never about a specific amount. It was more if I had a credit card because he needed to not use his credit card. So he started off a bit earlier the day before. I'm in a big crisis. I'm not allowed to use my credit cards anymore. And I was like, oh my God, it's like horrible. What is going on? Have you talked to your security team? Yeah, let me see if I can figure it out, you know? And then he comes the next day and then he records a message where he says, do you have, I don't want to ask you this, but do you have an... American Express card just for some, just for some, uh, a couple of weeks so I can connect it to my card. And so he could travel safely because he said that his enemies could track where he was doing the spend. And at this point I was thinking, so I see, no, it's like, it's not even, it's not, I know it's money, you know, but you don't think it's money. You think it's safety at that point, you know, that he, if it is dangerous for him, to use his cars. And I know we can look at like, that's what I felt at the point. And for me, remember, he was the CEO of LD Diamonds. This was a very powerful dude that had a lot of people around him listening to him. So you had no He's reason very, to doubt him, right? At that point, no, because I yeah. thought and that he was the guy he said he was. So I thought he really wasn't dangerous. Who would have a fucking bodyguard? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, I, it's outrageous. Uh, but then so did yeah. you take out a credit card? It, well, tell me about the mechanics for the first trade. You took out a it credit was, card in your name and then oh, sent it to him? 
yeah, or I visited him. So I, he said, take up a platinum American Express card. And I was like, can I even do that? <laughs> How do yeah. you get a platinum? Oh, it's super easy. Just say that you make 200,000 pounds. I was like, I'm scared. I'm going to get it. I've never done anything that I shouldn't do before, you know? Yeah. And he was like, no, no, promise me. Everything's fine. And everything has gone the way he said. This is what I mean. So sure. I get the card and I was like, how is that even possible? No documentation of my salary. You get a platinum Express card. So I get that and I'm happy. It sounds about to say, but I was like, yes, I'm going to help him out now. Come to then Amsterdam and hands it to him. And he just says that, well, since you're a new client, you're going to have, we're going to have a lot. And it was always we. It was what? <laughs> we're going to have, we, it was always we that we were in this uh -huh. together. We're in yeah, a war. Exactly. We're in this, like it creates this. So we will have a lot of problems now at the start. You would have, you're going to have to call American Express a lot because they will block the card. Gotcha. And I hate calling. That is my, and especially lying and calling, saying that I was the one traveling around when I wasn't. Wow. That is not a fun thing to do. That's but you're doing it because you think it's crisis. Like, yeah. So I then started like, saying that like i am traveling you need to open the car and said well the credit isn't big enough we need more we need either funds in or you we need some you know documentation about your salary so when i'm then in amsterdam so that what i felt didn't come as clearly as well i was in amsterdam with him and avishai when he says we'll hire her he looks at avishai and is like oh we'll hire her at lld diamonds and because it's crisis and we'll just make it happen he calls someone that he puts on speaker, ask him, hi, can you add Cecilia Fjellhoy to the employee, employee list? I'll send her over. So, and I'm just like, but who was that person? <laughs> that was like, hard so that was clearly offered. someone part of the fraud. And so they're in on it. They, so you are, you're taking out this credit card debt. Amex is saying you need proof of income to continue to yeah. take out this amount of debt. Simon then calls a fake fraudulent person and tells them to add you to the payroll so they can show that you right. have income, that you can tell Amex you have income so they'll increase your credit limit. At this point, how much was, credit card limit have you taken out with Amex? That wasn't that much, you know, maybe oh, much, much and much, but in Simon's maybe 10,000 or something was already quite a lot, I feel, to be a brand new card, but and he, he maxed out that. So the 10,000 is completely maxed out. He, right? did, he did that already even, even before because he knew that it, they would block it. The documentary can't have everything in the correct order, but it happened even like when I was there that they were discussing that. And I was super scared. But as I said, when I was with him, I felt so safe. And I was super scared. And I said to him, am I putting myself in problem? Like, <laughs> I think that's what makes me... So that's what makes me really sad that he yeah. could do this, you know, because I put myself in problems, you know, because yeah. I was doing things I shouldn't have done. Like no one should send in false documentations. And I was like, but what if they call? And they said, relax, I'm the CEO, you're in the system. So you're not doing anything wrong. Like relax, everything will be fine. And knowing that someone can lie to your face like that while when he sees, I can't even imagine, you know. So it's not about the money for me. It's like that someone could actually knowing that they put you in so much problems and you're there only to help him, you know? And it's like, it to help it's him like and he, he identified every one of the, like your scariest moments and your scariest fears and created bullshit lies to like 
create safety nets in like your weakest places. And he knew he had me, you know, like I think he saw from how I was reacting and how I was maybe was asking questions about his day and how he was looking and how he was feeling. And I have to say, Jason was like, I knew like from the documentary that he was just having fun. But with me, he seemed like he was in so much pain. So he's such a great actor. Like as this was going along, he was not feeling well. He was looking on well. He was like, and I think that's the scariest part is that someone who can lie so visibly with his body language and how he he's with you and then he leaves you and then he parties off and has sex with someone else you know it's it's a very difficult feeling it's a sociopath at its finest form well i want to ask you about your credit score before these laws started going out what did the credit score look like before you had you like when you first went to amex what was that like oh in uk nothing which i think that's why I have a lot of questions for Amex. <laughs> it's yeah. nothing because I had just moved. I couldn't even get a normal credit card. So I you couldn't get a normal credit card, but you were getting approved by Amex for all this it's, money. And it's just so weird because those documentations I sent in, suddenly I was living in New York. But when I applied for the card, I was truthful and said I lived in London. Not a question about that at all, that suddenly I was living and making those amounts I would have loved to re-listen to all the times I called into them, you know, because it's... uh, So there are like several things. And he was using LD diamonds. And when they came to talk to me, they said that they had a long investigations on this guy. Simon started becoming Simon Levive in summer 2017. So he'd been doing this for a while. And Amex was his preferred method. Mm -hmm. So if they had a long investigation on him, knew that he had three, four women... I send documentations from LD Diamonds in March and you try to contact me at the end of March. How could you approve it? I, I just have a lot of questions for no, them. No, I, I think that. you should. Do Dylan. It's just so weird here that I was like, but if you had a long investigation on him. Due diligence for financial companies is extremely important. And if there was a long investigation and you're clearly not the first, you're one of hundreds or maybe even thousands there should be some type of, of, of input in place here by Amex. Amex, in my opinion, does have some responsibility. But let's go to this real quick, Cecilia. So break yep. down. So you get the 10000 That's maxed out. What's the rest of the money requests look like? And how do you get those money? How do you get that money to him? What's the process? To be very honest with you, everything's like when it comes to the Amex thing, that is a complete blur. It's every single day I need to call. Suddenly the card isn't working. I need to call. Everything's stress. It's a, it's a stress and a pressure every single day. And I'm working full time. So I need to call between meetings, sitting there with Amex, pretending I'm in Cape Town, pretending I'm somewhere like, pretending I'm all over the world and, and he could use that card. And then, so in the end, I think it was like with time, I have no idea. We should almost ask Amex like how it was even possible. He had racked up 67,000 pounds. Just on the Amex, just in the American yes. Express. In under a month. <sighs> okay, so 67,000. And then once that's maxed out under a month, what is his next request to you money-wise and how does he do it? No, yeah, that's when it comes in because Amex then says that we need funds. We're not going to raise your credit anymore. Okay. And then he had tried then in March then to make a direct payment to my account in Amex. But of course, he did something wrong. And I sent those over to Amex. I said, no, the 
the information isn't correct. It's correct like that, but he should have done it like this. And I bet that he knew that. <laughs> he did it kind of the right way, but the wrong way. They said, oh, everyone does it that way. And I was like, of course. Of course. And then we need money in, in, in quick. And he's the master of saying, and I'm not known with this, you know, how quickly does an international payment comes in? Sure. So I am then saying, well, I, I could do some checkups and see if I can get some loans so we could pay down the card and open the card. It was always about, that's what you understand. Like it was never about the money. It was never, can you get me 25? Can you get me? It was like, can we open the card? Can we get the card working? <laughs> so the perspective, I think it's important when people are listening. I'm very focused right now. I'm asking Cecilia about what the dollar amounts are. But what you're saying is that in your brain at this time, in this moment, with this emotion and vulnerability, and the person you love is telling you their life is threatened, the questions I'm asking you about the dollar amounts never in a million years went through your head. For you, it was just this rush of panic. It's got to get done. Just get it approved. We got to get it done. And that's how he's telling you to do it. So now that you're, when you hear the numbers over a podcast, you're probably thinking, well, what the fuck? But your point, Cecilia, is that you were that never crossed your mind because you were in such concern and disarray trying to save this guy's life. Yes, it was such a crisis, and he made it such a crisis in haste. He's very good at that. So when I then pay down so we can open the Amex, I get super happy because he can then use the Amex. It sounds so weird, but he was so fucking happy. And then Amex then calls me and say, we blocked the card. We know that you are not been using, you're not the person who's been using your card. And we blocked it. And I was then in total disarray. I already paid then 45,000 pounds. You know, I was like, what are, what are we going to do? And again, is we, you know, <laughs> what are we, we going to do? And then I even sent off a really angry email to them because I was such brainwash, you know? So I felt it was so horrible of them to block the car and I had been using the car and how dare they say like, and, and Simon as well, you know, fuck Amex, they're going to get their money and let's, let's forget about it. And that's when I start, I'm the one that's saying that I have a MasterCard and a region MasterCard that we could use. Oh my gosh. So then, so now you have Amex in the balance. There's like 67, right? And then that's so be down now to 26. So that's that is still Let's go. It's getting paid down. What is, so this new creditor, the name of that bank is what? DNB. DNB. And so yeah. how much does DNB give you? Oh no. Now, now it becomes very big. <laughs> now it becomes such a, because I take up these high consumer debt loans okay. in Norway. Because my credit in Norway is really good. As you could hear, I had my apartment. I had a well-paid job based on my tax returns. I done really well. So, And I had a long line of credit, like been a very good customer throughout the year. So my credit was super good in Norway. So to get loans was not an issue. <laughs> Interesting. So, um, they, they don't do any type of international check when they're doing your credit. They're only looking at the country that you're in. That's news to me. I didn't even know that. Okay, so how much do they they approve you of? The credit card wasn't that much of a limit, but Simon taught me that you could do transfers to your MasterCard, and then the limit would be what you transferred to. So no matter if my limit was five thousand dollars, if I transferred like twenty thousand, then that would be then twenty two thousand. And I didn't so even know he, that. What he would do is have you open the card in this this your country where you have 
good credit. He then has you transfer cash to the credit card company. So if the balance was 5K, you transfer 20K to the credit card company. So that increases the balance on that credit card up 25,000. And who is in possession of that credit card right now? Simon at this point? Yeah. So I have then visited him again. Like I visited him several times throughout this, you know, but now I see why I needed to visit him. You know, I didn't even. Of course. And is the, on the Amex card, is the interest just being like, are you having to pay? Are you missing payments? What's happening while this new credit card's coming out? I have just put that in the back of my mind. They, okay. We will handle that when we, everything is calmed down and we fix this. I yeah, was this rich really guy happy. will get the money. He'll be fine. We'll, we'll get it taken care of. Right? I, I was just, we, we will fix it. I And he calmed me down with that. We will fix it. He was my safety net at this point because my entire life was just in disarray. So he was yeah. the only sense and reason and, and comfort almost that this would be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I started off doing, doing these different high consumer debt loans. So in total, nine creditors, nine okay. different loans of different values and do it very successful, like very quickly after one another. And I get them paid out very quickly. You know, it's just a couple of days. I even send a message to Simon saying, oh, no wonder people goes bankrupt in this country. It's so easy to get loans. I was like, are you still using though your in, your fake income to get these loans? Oh no, no. Now I just use my normal tax return in Norway. I no, I, I did I did not. I okay. use my real pay, my 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 real income. So 67 with Amex, nine creditors, nine different values. What yeah. is the total amount at this point and over what period of time? Oh, so uh, I think over like two two weeks, it was just Hundred and fifty thousand just over two three weeks, like because it was about paying down. First, I used forty five just to pay down the Amex that we could never use. So forty five thousand pounds was kind of lost. I know it sounds mean, but I was like, it was lost. I need to apply for new loans again so we could open up the new card. So um, you used your loans to pay down the Amex so you can get yeah. new creditors. At any point of this hundred fifty k, did he transfer anything yeah. over? He tried. He did one. He did one transfer from, but he did. He did so that he did very high values. He didn't send just to get some in. You know, he sent five hundred thousand dollars from Hong Kong, and I see from other scams that he's done that that's what he does. Because first of all, it's international, so it's more difficult to track. And then when I then called Lloyd's and I said, I'm getting one from Hong Kong. I said, well, with that amount, it will be stopped in Hong Kong. It will, because it's going to me as a private person. So why is Cecilia feel who are getting that amount? So, so they said, this will take several days. You know, the bank is collaborating what he's saying. And then in the end, it ends up with the check that I'm yeah. trying, that I'm trying to cash. And then he wins some time with that as well. Cause in the documentary, it just said I couldn't, but I want to explore and explain with the check. With the check, I couldn't cash it. And I was really scared at that point because this was mid-April and I at the end of April, that's when I understood. In context, so, you flew out there. Give people a little context who maybe haven't seen the documentary yet. How much total debt right. you've taken out for him? And the, just tell them a little bit about how you flew there because he told you that's where the check was. Oh God, uh, how much has it? Almost everything. It was like two, maybe 180 or something. It, it, was, it, was at like, it was at the end where I was like, this is my last ditch effort. As I said, sometimes mentally it's very, 
difficult to get out of this mindset that you are being defrauded because the reality is so much more difficult than what is fake. So I went out there to get the check. And in the documentary, it, it was a bit of a different vibe, but it wasn't as bad as it sounds in a documentary. You were still like, still boyfriend, girlfriend, kind of. Yeah. But then he gives me the check and I do go and cash it. And I, I, In Norway, we don't even have checks. Like I have never used a check in my life. I don't know how a check is supposed to look like. And then I cash it. And then I get back from the back. We can't cash this check. And I get like, something's wrong again. But then I call Simon and then he goes off on a tangent, you know, (laughs) Superman and call LZ Diamonds. How weird is this fucking dude who can say call LZ Diamonds? It's so weird. And then I'm I'm on the phone with them. I wait for half an hour and said, what's wrong with the check? And said, oh, the amount is too big. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, we're not casting checks. That is that amount into private accounts. And I was like, so there's nothing wrong with the check? The check is fine. There's nothing wrong with the check. And then I get to know later on that the bank didn't even check if the check was real or not. Who does that as a bank? That you don't to maybe try to figure out if someone is being defrauded. If someone is coming in with a fake check, maybe tell her that, by the way, the check you tried to is fake. Is are you okay? Like that is a large amount. So saying that the check is okay. So he got like, not that I couldn't take out any more loans almost, but I was desperate, you know. I even took out my grandma's birthday present gift for me. Like she gave me some cash to pay for his flight tickets because I was so desperate to to Tel Aviv. Because he said, "Come with me to Tel Aviv." I don't know what would have happened if I went to Tel Aviv with him, but he said, "We will fix everything, and you get your money, and this, and then everything's done," you know. But I was like, "This is the kind of mindset you get to to a certain point when you're so worn down." psychological from all the pressure yeah. that would even do that even though you know kind of deep down inside at that point at the end of april that this isn't real but you're so scared of the future yeah i think you're just starting to panic one of the yeah. things that uh, he did was he faked a break-in like i think i saw that he had a break-in into his london apartment <laughs> was that real or was that fake i knew that he had a tel aviv apartment because there were pictures on his old Instagram. Everyone's talking about his old Instagram, but I'm talking about the old, old one that was showing his life in Tel Aviv before. So I knew that he had, if that was his real apartment in Tel Aviv, but I'd seen him in an apartment in Tel Aviv. So he had this app where he actually went in. It wasn't screenshots. It was a real CCTV app where he showed me before, because he was just going to show me, yeah. maybe just set me up first. That like, Look at this. This is the apartment. I, see. I need CCTV because you never know. And then later on, some weeks later, he said, oh, look at this CCTV. It goes into the app and there's been a, you could see from the door, it's been a break-in and it's fucking CCTV. So he's, this guy so, is thinking about, I don't know what he did, what he did, but he's so, and he plants seeds, you know, it's always he a bit of plants the seeds, sets you up and then smacks you down. You said Instagram. Yeah. One of the things he did in the documentary too, is he told you he was deleting his Instagram and made you go private, right? He, that was so scary. That's when he Why was, was like, that. And was that so that people couldn't contact you? Was that his mechanism of he was like then making me fear for my life. And I don't think you are managing. Of course, I should have then thought, well, why, why can he still then use my car? But you're not thinking clearly. Like you're, I have to say, when you're under pressure and threats, you're not thinking as clearly as later on. Of course on. not. 
So I, he made me like remove my picture. I had to put up a picture that was me removing my name, just Cecilia F, remove my location because I had like London and then make myself private just for a little while, just for a little while. Oh, just, my just, God. Just, just, just for the security situation is going to, is fine. And then I think things went back to normal, but I was like, you get fucking insane with the situation. So almost two, so it's almost $250,000, right? <laughs> In all different loans, nine different creditors, all different interest rates. What was the breaking point for you? When did you realize this was all fraudulent? I think, as I said, like I had someone else that says, maybe you, won't, you don't want to believe you're being defrauded before it's too late. And I think this was one of those. But I was at home. He had said he's been working on this deal that he told Eileen as well, this London mm-hmm. hotel deal. And that's what had, he had to travel so much around for. And then he said, well, it's the last day. If I can't get in the money, I will either come and cry on your shoulder or celebrate kind of in London. I don't care now. I just need to be with you. In the morning, I get, I lost. And at that point, I just knew, oh God, I, I was like, you know, you have a lot of things that don't go your way. That yeah. has been the entire time. The threats were never getting better. You know, he always said two weeks and two weeks. And then now it's just a week and we're, we're getting sooner to a solution. And it was like never there. And I was like, no, no one has. And then he turned completely on me over some days. If you could hear those voice messages that he left Riley on yeah. the phone, he was just screaming how selfish I was. It was sorry for him and not me. I had just lost 200,000 or, but he didn't even owe me it. He had already sent it. Like he had done the deal, you know, he had sent the money. So it wasn't his problem anymore. And he had lost 70 million. So it's him. And he just wanted to kill himself. I remember one evening where I was like, don't jump off. Like I was so, so bad to say, but I was still scared. Like he had, was not my boyfriend anymore. He was a dad. He had turned into this other person that the other girls could hear. He called me so stupid because I was asking me questions and maybe I should have asked those questions much earlier to get to this side of him. But it was a painful experience. And that's when I knew I needed to contact Amex. And that's when Amex sent the auditors to you and they confirmed that this is fraudulent and he's been doing this for so long. I mean, at that point, what's going through your head? I, I, I don't think anyone can understand. Like it's, I was at work as well with my manager taking care of me, you know, I, um, I think it was the severity of it. And at that point in time, not only had I lost my boyfriend and I knew that I was, I was so scared what I had implicated myself in. I knew what I had done. I'm not a stupid person. I knew I, I, and I think, I think that says a lot about the pressure I was in that I was willing to put myself in, in jeopardy and danger because I thought it was something that was important to do. And it was someone's life. I wouldn't have done it just for, to get some money, implicate myself and be like for document fraud. And like, who, who, who would want to do that for like, just for some money? Like, I don't need it. I'm from a very well-off country. Like I don't, (laughs) I've never needed it. I think sitting there with them, they really helped me. I have a lot of bad things to say about Amex as well. But I think they saved me that day because one of the men, he said that he had a daughter that was my age and he wanted just to kill the bastard, he said. And <laughs> that, it was not my, that it was really not my fault that, as they said, this is his full-time job and you're good at your job. You were sitting on my job. You know, you're good at your job and yeah. you do it full-time. And this is a guy that does this full-time and that I should never feel bad and that they were not going to go after me. And that made me 
I think breathe. I don't know what I would have done if I wouldn't have met them and they called me down the way they did because I was, it wasn't, it was just like, I knew that I had fucked up so much. I know that I had destroyed my life completely and done something illegal in the case of it as well. And so tell me about, so this is rock bottom. At this point it's rock bottom. Now, you know, you, like you said, you fucked up, you know, you've been taken advantage of and he fucked up worse than you fucked up. And you, are at rock bottom, what are the next steps? Do you block him and just try and go back to work? Like what are, what are your restart steps after literally being in the worst position you've ever lived in your entire life? I think first I was wondering what I was going to do with him because I still was saying, I love you to him. Like like still was having a relationship on the phone and like was going to meet up with him. And I said, I think we all girls have done the same. We tried to catch him, which I think is awesome. So I asked them, like, I know him. I can get him to Amsterdam. Like, I can say that I have some cash, you know, and just meet him in Amsterdam and we can lock him up. So yeah. I said, what do you want me to do? And they said, can you keep him warm a bit? Because if he understands that, you know, it might be more difficult. And then he sure. said, we will silence him for you in a week. So, and he's still out there. So that is mean. So I went through the weekend trying to keep up. I got like, I love you messages. And I was like tearing up. I just like, like I still loved him, you know? And wow. I think it's like, I am, um, I'm still mourning a relationship. I really like, it sounds so bad, but I, he yeah. was very special to me, you know? So yeah. it's and I put my life on the line for him. So it's bad when someone is doing something like that to you. So I, um, I kept it up with him a bit and then I couldn't, be in Norway anymore. So my family, luckily, I have a very strong and nice family. So they got me back home to Norway, reported it. And then I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, I think you have to block him for your own. So I didn't say anything. I, I think I knew what everyone else is not understanding yet, that you will never get a proper explanation for, from him, why he's doing what he's doing. You know, you're never going to get an apology. You're never going to, you're just going to get abuse. And um, so I just blocked him. And that's when Peter sent me a message. Uh, you blocked Simon. What's the reason? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and then, then he sent me an email. Why did you block me? And that's when he called in the threat over the phone because he tried to call me, but I didn't take the phone. Happy I didn't did. And then I just got from some lawyers in Norway that the banks are going to go after me. And that's, it's just a, a lot to handle. So that's when I went into psychiatric ward for some time just to heal. Yeah. And then after that, I got back to London. I got a death threat sent through an email, a warning for me and my family and friends. Oh my so I was trying to dig up some stuff because I had met another girl in Amsterdam. And I was wondering who is that girl? And I saw that I had transferred cash, trans, a transfer that I thought was going to him had gone to her. So I sent her a message when I was in psychiatric ward. And it was like, are you the girl that was in Simon's apartment? And she had gone straight to him. And said that I had started doing digging. So wow. he told me not to be Sherlock Holmes. Don't mess with fire. This will be a way bigger reaction. Like, good luck. He's horrendous. This I think people need to understand. This is not it. You can laugh at him, but people are scared. It's a lot. It's very traumatic. And I think this is what he's done to all his victims. But I was the only one that after some weeks, I managed to regain some strength and just like, I had known that I was the last of three, four women. I saw several names mm-hmm. that Amex had shown me. I knew that there were so many victims out there. Why is no one saying anything? Why is it still out there? This can't continue. Police weren't taking this seriously. The banks were going hard. 
you don't you just have media left to get to get his name face and name out there what else do we have you know and that's when you went to vg right and you got yeah. them and that was the only thing that really exposed this story it wasn't amex it wasn't the banks it wasn't the police it was finally going to media no one did anything alex didn't do anything Mind. They didn't even warn Pernilla if, if you're going to talk to her, but it, like she has a lot to say, like because she was so mad at me at the start. Like, with, why didn't Cecilia warn me? Because I got told in May and saw her name in May. She got the fraud in November. Uh-huh. But they told me, don't contact any other victims. We are building a case. We're contacting them, though. If you talk together, the lawsuit will be worse. You know, the trial will be much worse if you have collaborated and and then, so she got defrauded because I didn't reach out to her. Unbelievable. So give me, give me the timeline real quick. You meet him in January, was it? Yeah. You meet him in January. And then when do you end up going to psychiatric ward to get some help? May. So this happens over five months, two on about 250 grand in total and so much trauma. And then how long are you in psychiatric ward working on getting help? It's, it was just a week because it was okay. in Norway. And I think all I needed was to sleep because I think I'd been sleep deprived and so stressed over the last months. It wasn't exactly what happened there, but the stress and pressure that he had put me under over several weeks just got, got to me. And this was the end of it, you know? Yeah. It wasn't a happy so, ending. It was a terrible ending. Terrible ending. And then end of May... When, at what point does he stop reaching out to you? At what point are you just going back to work and living the normal life you lived before you swiped right on this guy? Well, I try very quickly because I love my job and it's always been a bit of a thing that you go to think about something else. I tried to go back to work on the 23rd, actually. Okay. On the 4th, I went to American Express. The 23rd, I tried to go back to work, but then I read the death threats from him. He had sent it to my work email as well. And I was at work and started bawling my eyes out and needed to report it to the police in the UK as well. So after that, I was away from work for three weeks, I think, three, four weeks. But it's not good for anyone to go at home and think about this. It's so much better if you enjoy your work to actually go to work and think about something else. So I've always had that as almost like my, my therapy going to work. So you, so you go back to work and then at what point is it in late May that you never hear from them again? Like when is the last time you've heard from Simon? Oh, that was just that email threat. So that was the last time. Yeah, he just blocks people. Goes and, he'll, and then he'll go, you'll never hear from him again. No. Like once or, or I, I contacted him once because I was a bit upset, but he has never reached out ever. I, I just said that he was having a lot of meetings with his lawyer. And I was like, and I was just so upset because he was having very fancy meetings with cigars and stuff. And like, I understand why you need all these meetings with your lawyers. And then I, I sent it from not my real profile. It's the action reaction page, but he knew it was me. Yeah. So he said, Fjellhoi, good luck. I know you all. I know everything. And you have criminal charges against you in Greece. Check it out. The only fraud is you. <laughs> but you thought to crash me with those lies. You made me a superstar. And oh. I know. As I told you to every action going to be a reaction. You told your lies out loud. Now it's over. So it's me. It's not me. I never took nothing from you or no one is not proof of nothing. Uh, it's like, and you are an amazing person as you are. And you thought to open up a war against me. So you all lost and we lose each and every time. Next time, choose someone in your own size. What a scumbag. Yeah, what, a scumbag. What, where is he getting money today? 
Where is he getting money from? You think he's still defrauding people? Yes. And how is it not, in your eyes, how do people, how is that still happening? Isn't the word big enough now that it's greater than him and his ability? I was hoping, but I think he's using a mule in one case that I heard of. So it's not directly him, but it's through someone else uh, that was able to do it. I don't know. Some people are saying that maybe he has stacked away some cash from his frauds that has never been confirmed if there are. But we have some information that there might be more company frauds going about that hasn't been discovered yet that might come out. I That's the biggest question for me, how he... But I think he's being a bit protected. Okay. Gotten some information as well that there's a certain type of people around him that wouldn't necessarily care where the money comes from or how to get that money. They indulge just in money in general and if you know what i mean so yeah it's found yeah. his people kind of in found his people and he's created that makes it possible for him and for example now he's he's gonna make money on his name if not we jail him you know yeah so, i wonder it'll be interesting to see how he makes money as name i think only press obviously no like brands or anything would ever associate with him it'll be interesting to see who and why anyone would support him and how long it will take for him to be taken down what about when you get approached from the Netflix series, how long after is this? So you go to VG, this makes media headlines. And then when do you start getting called into like media and like, we're going to do a documentary? How does that happen? The US were very quick. <laughs> the US really? works very differently. Yes. I think it was in March already. This was out in February 2019 and March 2019. There were several people in the US asking like, this is going to be a documentary. like. It's better to be in it. And that was my opinion. Like, I was just feeling like it's better to be in it than not in it because they were going to do the documentary, anyways. So it was against, like, but at this point in time, it was still out there. Yeah. I was doing everything in my power to still be in media, still getting his face out there. Then he was jailed, but then he was released. So then my fighting power got even stronger. Like, we're going to get this guy, you know, when he, when he got released. I was like, this story is not over. And I think that's why this story is so special. It's, it's not over at all. We haven't gotten justice. Do you still worry at all? Like, do you still wake up at night worrying about this, worrying about your safety? Or in your head, are you like, everything he says is lies. It's all fabricated air. There's no validity to it. Yeah, but I totally agree. I totally understand people who are scared. I'm not going to belittle their how scared they've been, but I'm happy I wasn't as scared because that's what he's done to everyone. And I just got to the point where he was, you know, making threats and I got mad. Like, why are you threatening me? I should be threatening you of anyone. Like you destroyed my life. Like, how dare you threaten me? It it came to the point that this guy is unbelievable. He needs to be stopped. Like he can't continue. So no, I don't wake up. I'm not scared. I am more scared of banks. I am more scared of situation. I mean, I'm not scared of him. I'm scared of never getting my life back. That is my biggest fear. Um, so what is, so 2022 now, what is the situation look like? How much debt do you currently have? Where well, are you today? It's been rising. Now it's almost, two, now it's almost like $300,000, I would because say. Because of interest? Yes. Every single one of these debt creditors should be pausing the interest on this debt immediately. And like, you should have attorneys being like, pause the interest now. This is ridiculous. 
it's so much that I, so what I'm going to have to do now, Jason, I just need some professional help. I've not been in the position. I was waiting for the documentary to come out. was yeah. maybe ho- hoping for someone to just be kind, but they're not. So I just need a professional with me that can negotiate on my behalf. So that is my next step now to say, can we please sort this out? Yes, you need to put this message out there. We need an attorney immediately to <laughs> in kind. We wouldn't jump all over that. If I, was, if I was an attorney, I'd be on this immediately. And so, so you have about $300,000 in debt, but I saw you started to go fund me. Obviously, yeah. Netflix, have you been able to make any money off this to contribute towards this debt you have? Not at all, really. Uh, to make a documentary, you would think that you'd be getting tons and everyone would be thinking that we're getting mails. I don't want to discuss the contract in, in detail, but sure. there's nothing compared to what I saw. <laughs> and wow. you have to take what you get. You're, you're the small part. You're, that, that's why maybe I don't want to speak badly about Netflix or anything, but I am shocked about I felt that all the time, I'm always the one with the short end of the stick, to be very honest with you, while other ones are making or getting awards or getting praises for the story. And then I'm like, well, when will I see anything of putting my life out there, you know? So from the Netflix, no. And we asked, I remember like, can we, can we get more if it's a success? And like, no, that's not. And I'm like, okay. Oh my. <laughs> so all the promo we've been doing is just because like we wanted, like we're proud of it and we want to get his face out there and we want media attention. We want media attention on the right topics. Why is it still out there? The police, the victim shaming, the blaming we've been experiencing. Those are the type of things why we, we want him in jail or we want Avisha and Peter question because he's using it so much. Like Simon is like, oh, no, I have never been like, no, no, not a warrant, not a questioning. So of course, if he's going to use that isn't this is in his defense. I totally get it. Of course. This, so is just, questions. this is absolutely asinine to me that there's evidence out there. of the There's 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 hard documentation this occurred. And the fact that no one has done anything is so mind-boggling. And, and the from companies as well, like he did one private jet luxury car company in London, 500,000 pounds. In Bulgaria, the same, 800,000 euros. It's a lot of money. This is serious. I mean, over $10 million they're saying he's yes. deprived. So it sounds like that is even conservative. And yeah. here you are sitting with $300,000 in debt. Are you working full-time at this point? Are you taking a little break? I had to take some holidays off for this, but I'm starting a new job in March. So it's going to be good to, to start fresh, I feel. I am the Tinder swindler girl now, you know. <laughs> you are the Tinder swindler girl. I mean, there, there's got to be ways that you can make money off this story. You need to make money off this story because you need to pay this debt back. And there's, I think the financial companies are at fault. I think the, 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 the creditors for underwriting this are at fault. You need to immediately get someone calling these people and telling them to stop interest until further notice because for this circumstance, they should do that. They shouldn't be making 20. What, what's the percentage on this interest? You know, between 15 and 20. I yeah, that's ridiculous. Like they need to pause that immediately. Um, oh yeah. my God, this makes me so mad. Don't you think I've been so mad? I've been like, and I've I been can't screaming. even imagine. But I'm like, I just realized so much with time that not like how you can be happy having that amount of debt 
hanging over you as well. You know, you can't like I've been with this for four years. You can't go through life. And then people are saying that seeing that we're smiling and stuff. Aren't you poor? And I was like, aren't you? Bro-? I was like, are you not allowed to be happy yeah. when you're going through shits? Should I just post pictures of myself crying on my couch? Yeah. I can show you that as well. But I'm like, it's it's very it's a, how you're viewing people who have gone through difficulties that you're not supposed to have a good life. And me and Pernilla, we refuse to be victims in this. We want to be like power fighters, you know, we're never going to give up. And to have someone by my side, like Pernilla, with the same kind of spirit that we're never going to give up till he's behind bars. Seriously. If he thinks that we're going to give up, never. So what would, what would you say? Cause I read one uh, comment that made my blood boil even further. <laughs> is when one troll was saying like, they had this ridiculous conspiracy theory that this, like you guys starting to go fund me and doing this was because you're still working for him and it's creating more money for him. You have like the platform to tell people like to debunk this. How would you debunk this complete bullshit? What would you say? I was shocked when I saw that because I never thought that they could turn that. Yeah, right? Like what? The entire piece. But I think we come down back to the, like, you can't even admit that this type of fraud exists or the like, it's always us as the victims. We can never be proper victims that you have to be part of it. And I can, I've seen so many mean comments. I don't understand. I don't even know, as you said, how do you debunk that? I was like, it's in the evidence. Netflix would never, ever have done this. They had three lawyers looking at that documentary or anything around us. We are in this situation. And if people need to see receipts, I have receipts that I can put up of how much debt I'm still in. I honestly uh, think like, I think you're right. No journalist would pick this up and be able to write about it without the credibility. You can't. I, you you can't, can't. You'd be fired immediately but, tomorrow. I think you people, also should put like that number, that 300, like whenever you feel comfortable, you should be putting your statements out there. Be like, anybody that thinks I'm full of shit, Go look at my balance right now. Look at the interest rate. I can't believe these creditors are still charging you interest. That is sick. What, what do you, when you look back at the Netflix series, is there anything that was edited out or not shown that you wish would have been shown? Maybe even more of those smaller interactions and more of the people that I met. There are more women that I met that made him seem more genuine that are victims later on, or maybe were a bit part of it, but there was a friend I met. It was a private assistant. There were like several women that I met that wasn't part, but there was such a huge gallery of people, you know? So I think even more, even more of that to show that all the times you spent with him was with a lot of people that was confirming nice guy, just, you know, just having this grand job. And I was saying that, and I think like, all the pictures of him shows that this flashy, but he creates the persona that you love. And with me, and it was so nice to meet Pranilla. He's such a normal, funny guy that you would love to hang around with. So he's not this douchey, selfie kind of like guy. Like with you, we were having like movie nights together and just like cuddling and talking about like, it was a, want that to be out there. That for me, it was like a true relationship. And I saw a future with him, you know, and yeah. I, I agree with that. I do. I do think like looking back on it, I don't think the, the, the documentary based on what you're telling me provides enough context for how real this fake image of him and how deep it was, right? This wasn't like a, a one-time thing where like he just pulled something over your eye. Like this was so 
deep and so emotionally connected and 150, 200 hours dedicated to fucking with someone's brain. I mean, that documentary doesn't show that context. And other people fucking with you as well. And that's what I mean. It wasn't only his words. It's what other people that you met, like drivers or like Peter, like other people you talked to, like that you were with them and like that said he was a great guy and was going really, and then you were like, it was like, yeah, okay. It's just not something he tells me he's going to do. Like he does it already for his dear friends. He told me how much his friends and family, like meant to him, you know, and what he would do for them. And I think it's a lot of big difference between just asking for some random money. Suddenly I'm in danger. I get that. That sounds really, really bad, but it wasn't exactly how it happened. <laughs> We're going to wrap up here. This has been an incredible interview. Before we wrap up, I just have two questions and then I need your trading secret. So everyone who comes on gives us a trading secret about their life experience. Clearly you've gone through a deep, deep experience and I'm sure you have a secret you've learned about yourself or you can instill on others uh, to avoid certain, some of these situations. Before I do that, the two questions I have, the first one is what is next for you? Like you hit rock bottom, you have this debt, you have to rebuild your life. What is next? What can we expect? Oh, well, I think we just have to wait, wait and see. But like I have my small organization that I really want to build up, like helping fraud victims or people in debt. As I now that I've been it myself is so close to my heart. So to change laws, legislation, mental health and peer support for fraud victims is super important to me. So if that's something I can do in the future, that that's a win for me because that's my passions, I would say right now. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, we're, we'll be excited to see how you recoup from this. The last question I got from you. Now you are the Tinder gal that had been swindled. That is your brand. And I saw in the documentary, you're still on Tinder. You're still rocking it and looking for that one person. Yeah. Maybe I feel like I'm dating someone as well. So we will see how that uh, ends up. But as I always say, I never know how my relationships are going. So. I'll tell you what, you, you need to put this, one, right put this person through the damn ringer, please. He has. He's been really, really supportive. I haven't been okay. with anyone that's been so supportive and so proud of what I'm doing. And that is really important to me. But a lot of men have seen this as a, I felt that I had baggage or I've been deleted from matches and stuff on dating apps. You know, it's not the best feeling when you give their Insta, for example. And it's yeah. out on my Insta or if you Google my name and then they delete you. So wow. you felt a bit, will I ever find love because of this? And it's kind of nice to find someone that takes you with everything, the good and the bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you said you're a Bachelor fan. I'll tell you what, if you are ever single and you want to become the Bachelorette, go put that out there. Go tweet that. I think you would make a great Bachelorette. Well, I'll call some producer and be like, go call her. Not that I have any pull, but I would be cool to see your Bachelorette story. Should you ever oh my God. And, was like, and then I was like, how many men are they then? It's like so many. <laughs> 30 of them. And all of them go through background checks and credit checks. And you won't get any scumbags. Um, all right. This has been amazing. We got to wrap with your trading secret. Given the experience you've had and like the lessons uh, you've learned through what you've endured, what is your one trading secret you could leave us with? I think that you have to be true to your values. I think that's what I see now with all the opportunities that is arising, be true to yourself and don't go against your values. And that money, the highest value isn't it all. Have some quality with what you're doing in your life. So I think that's my uh, values are so important. I think that is what I've learned in all of this.
Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing yes. the story and more of the specifics we didn't see in the documentary. The yeah. context is incredible. And I think the things that you guys, uh, your team of fighters is doing to make an impact is just so important. And literally this story, since the day I saw it, there's been a part of my day for at least a few seconds or a few minutes or even longer that I've thought about what you guys have gone through and how ridiculous this is. So just keep sharing it. Keep doing amazing things. I hope you become any of these haters out there. I hope you become the biggest superstar on the planet from telling this story and that you can pay down this 300 K fuck this interest on this money. That should be held. I think you should be forgiven of every 300 K to these letters to these creditors is nothing. It is a, it's a penny in the freaking ocean for them. And they, they would actually get 300 K of PR value by coming out and saying that they've eliminated your debt. And I am going to keep screaming about that loud and proud, but thank you so much for your time. It was so nice. And I hope to meet you someday. If I ever come to LA, you know, Caitlin and I (laughs) would absolutely love that. So please, I'm going to keep in touch with you. This yes. 300K is going to get paid down. I want to be a part of getting this paid down. Um, and my last question for you is anybody that has heard your story and wants more of you or wants to donate to your GoFundMe or anything that you have going on, where can they find you? Oh, yeah. I have my Insta, Cecilia underscore. And on Twitter, Cecilia Fjellhoy. But I know my name is super weird. So. <laughs> But I am on all social media. I love social media in general. So you can find me either Cecilia Fjellhoy or just Cecilia underscore. And I'm there. And yeah, I'm trying to get the blue tick now because there's so many fake ones out there and people are trying to scam people. So you don't have the blue check yet? I haven't gotten it yet. Okay, we got to get to the blue check. We're going to put that out into existence. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. Keep telling your story. Thank you for telling your story with us. We'll for sure be in touch. And I can't, I mean, this is obviously the brands I run are all called Restart. This is the ultimate restart. And I'm excited to see what's next for you though. Because it's literally just, it's it's the sky's sky's the limit from here. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. Ding, ding, ding. We are closing in the bell to the Tinder swindler episode. Oh, highs and lows, frustration, blood boiling, tears, all the emotions. Nothing fires me up more than this story. And I get so pissed off thinking about this fraudulent con man getting away with what he's gotten away with and what he probably is still getting away with. David, It makes me want to lose my shit. Enough of me talking. Let's kick it to you, the curious Canadian. You got to hear this interview and just listen to it right now. Tell me what you're thinking. I've never seen your energy so low because I know how emotionally exhausted you are for her, for the story, how much you're honestly, I think, controlling your anger right now because that was an emotional roller coaster and anybody who listens to that, who watches documentary, who reads about this and wants to victimize her needs to reevaluate their life. Re- reevaluate like everything. It's so, it was, it was, it was like almost so draining just even hearing this story, thinking about everything she's undergone and still undergoing 300K of freaking debt. And the fact that this is happening day in and day out, not only with this twindler, swindler, Tinder swindler piece of shit, but so many people that are being taken advantage of. It's just frustrating. All right, I'm going to do something right now that's not going to help your mood. 
but I need to do it because I don't know if you're aware of this, but he broke his silence today. So I was not aware of this. This is news to me. What do you got? So he broke his silence today. And I'm just going to read you some of the quotes from his interview. Okay. Video Who did he interview with? Uh, He interviewed with um, Inside Edition. Wow. Okay. Okay. And he interviewed, he did a video interview with his new girlfriend. Okay. Who's an Israeli model. Model. I've seen that. I'm just going to read you some quotes and I want your reaction. Okay. Okay. Uh, quote, I'm just, I just was a single guy who wanted to meet some girls on Tinder. What else did he say? I'm a legit businessman. He denies any wrongdoing. Uh, none of the girls in the, in the documentary were conned and none of them were threatened. He denied ever presenting himself as the son of Israeli Russian diamond tycoon Lev Levive. Uh, asked how he was able to fund his lavish lifestyle. He said he had bought Bitcoin in 2011 I don't need to say how much it's worth now. That was his thing. Uh, He says he has no regrets. Do I feel bad for something I didn't do? No. I feel bad for whatever happened to myself. I want to clear my name. I want to say to the world that this is not true. He says the girlfriend comes on, says she's never, he's never asked her for money, calls the documentary fake. He goes, I'm not a fraud and I'm not fake. People don't know me, so they they cannot judge me. I'm the biggest gentleman in the world, he said. He is a scumbag and he's full of shit. And she's getting paid to say what she's saying. And if he had Bitcoin, he wants to clear his name, come clear your name. First of all, you can't clear your name because you have people that are journalists that have gone through the due diligence to see the evidence that you have sent these people. You have auditors for Amex going through every single transaction saying Dave that he is part of this. He has been in jail before. For this, he has been in jail again, prosecuted he, he got, for fraudulent he got passports. He's full of shit. Yes, I was just gonna say he got caught with fake passports. How are you gonna say you never presented yourself as the son of the ty- diamond tycoon? You sent her a fake pay stub. The fa- pay so stub. So she can you get more money to send picture. to you. The fake picture. You are clearly full of shit. And he just keeps lying. And shame on Insider Edition for not calling his ass out right in the interview. If that was a good interviewer, that person would have had every single fact lined up and challenged his ass. Also, you want to clear your name? First of all, you can't clear your name. That was my original point. But if you think you can, why don't we talk about, show your Bitcoin. How much did you buy? Well, that's the thing. He'll put fraudulent, you know, he'll make fraudulent statements. But there's probably ways to show how much you've bought. Show us that you've made 100 million bucks off it. He is a sicko. Uh, I've never seen a human being double down on so on something so much in my life, no matter what it is. Uh, the extents that he goes to manipulate these people and the amount of people that he has involved and the f- minute situations that he does. I When she said he plants seeds, I was like, fuck, he is planting the Amazon jungle of seeds. One thing I want to put out there, because there was a lot of numbers that she said in pounds in The Curious Canadian, the only question that I had, there were no business topics I didn't get. There were no, none, no definitions, but one pound equals 1.35 USD. So whatever she said, it's worse. Right. It's way worse. So yeah, $1, I saw the conversion again. So it's a little different, but one United States dollar I see is 0.74 pounds sterling. So right, like it would be if you had 185,000 pounds, that's 250,000 US dollars. Now, the thing I also want to put out there, I don't think my, I told my dad, I was interviewing her. I was like, you got to go watch this documentary because I think you'll like it. And he watched it and he called me. He's like, what an idiot. Are you kidding me? Like, how did she do that? And I like stopped him in his tracks. And I was like, 
I get that as a natural first reaction because that was mine. But let's think through this, right? Let's put some depth to it, especially after I just got the interviewer. Think about how many people were in on this. Think about how many moving parts there were. This is a full out professional with an army of people working behind him. And I could tell you, I would have gotten swindled at some level too. And I have gotten swindled. I actually write about this in my book when uh, Uncle Tom and I were, were traveling and we're on a train and uh, we we had our bags with us and we didn't know you had to get a ticket. Well, it finds out you didn't have to get a ticket. But these guys saw us go on the train without getting a ticket. Girl next to us, these guys come in, they're big dudes and they have this like a merchant service, handheld merchant service system with these jackets. They go to the girl next to us, show us your ticket. She shows the ticket. Okay, you're good. Goes to Tom and I, show us your ticket. We don't have the ticket. Okay, step out as we land. We get there, the girl goes off and the guy goes, you guys don't have tickets. You're going to have to give me, you're going to have to pay a fee for that. And we're like, what kind of fee? And he goes, you're going to have to pay us euro. And we're, and he's like cash. And then his voice got sterner cash right now. And he kind of cornered us. And I'm with uncle Tom. What am I going to do? Yeah. And so I quickly negotiated with these guys, a low dollar amount. I go, listen, we're using all cards. I got 30 euro. You're going to take this 30 euro. We're walking down the stairs. When we pass those cops, we're not going to say a word and the story's over. That was a setup. That girl was with them. Those two guys were with them. They had us all planned out. There's some of this stuff you just can't get out of. And when you got eight people working against you, that's one of the things you just can't avoid, especially when they're stringing on your heart like that. Uh, yes, it's just disgusting. And I, I really just can't get over the fact, and we watched this together in Nashville for the second time, the day before that you interviewed her, and we just kept looking at each other, being like, the extent, the extent that, the absorbent extent that he would go to showcase his wealth. Anyone who says, how do you fall for this? How could you not? He meets her, sends her home and a driver to pack for their first trip together after their first date, and we're like, oh man, he has drivers? Like, how much is he paying the driver? The driver's driving a Rolls Royce. Like, how do you just think, oh, this is made up. This guy is a fraudster. No, I'm sorry. But when you're taking a Rolls Royce to a private jet, no one's in their peanut brain imagination could think that someone could be swindling money to pay for that. It's, it's just impossible. And I don't think anybody thinks rationally when you're pressured, right? Like if I talk to someone who I love or I care for, or I trust, and I use a tone like, I, I need your help. I need your help and I need it right now. This is what's going to happen. I, I could be in serious trouble. I need you to send me $10,000 or I'm done. Like if you have trust in that person and they're putting this fear, instant fear and pressure and time sensitivity you're not thinking rationally. You're thinking how to solve. You're thinking solution. Okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. What do you need? What do you need? I'll help you. That's what normal humans would think. And that's the type of pressure he's putting her under. The, the emotional psychology of this manipulative motherfucker is nuts. It would be really interesting to get an expert on, like a psychology expert to see and analyze like the things he's doing and the tactfulness of how he's doing it and see like what a, psychologists would say about how he's doing things that are literally pulling on the people's biggest insecurities and gaps. I, I got a couple things. One, she said it in a quote I have written down here says all is context. Whatever you guys want to think, however you want to judge, you don't know the story. All is context. She loved this person. You can tell, you can still say, see that she loves him. Like there's a sick part of her that still loves him. Um, seeing her cry was just like, you just wanted to give her a hug, jump Seriously. through the screen and give her a hug. I just want to know from your point of view, like how much quickly do you think that American Express, how much should they be quivering in their boots? Because 
the lack of, of follow through or the lack of standards for getting the money or access to the money or the cars that she had or the, I just want your opinion really quick on that. On I'm just Express. blown away by that. Cause I know the sensitivity those organizations have from a PR perspective, like Wells Fargo is still bleeding from their PR issues years ago. And mm -hmm. now that this is the number one trending thing in the world, not in America, like one of the number one trending things in the world, it's mind blowing to me that they haven't done the research to say, this is fraudulent. And it's mind blowing to me to say, why would they not use the PR stunt of saying, we have eliminated her debt and we have changed our policies and that's who we are as American Express? Because David, that title, that line could go everywhere across the world and the value of that would be greater than the 300K they write off. It's an opportunity. We talk about opportunity costs and bit. It's an opportunity to re rebrand, re uh, label uh, your your values and your and your priorities for your customers. How about retrain your 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 staff and your processes for the next person who needs to get an Amex Platinum card and doesn't, and you don't make them show two hundred k. Have you seen the show Money Heist on Netflix? Can you remind me? I don't think I have. No, Netflix is a basically it's a a show with people who dedicate their lives to huge heists and they rob the Bank of Spain and, and the Royal Mint and all this right, stuff. Right, right. And, and the reason I bring it up is, is the show shows how far back in their lives they go to executing these master heists. I want to know how far back do you think he goes? How many, how far back? How, there's no way he's winging this is what I'm saying. How far back do you think he goes? How many girls do you think have actually been swindled by him? Uh, how many think are silenced because of fear? Because he's obviously a, a complete psychopath with his death threats and, again, his ability to triple down on situations. I just want to know, like, planning-wise. like, I think it goes so deep, David. I think it goes so deeper than anybody has any estimate of. I think so many people are staying quiet because they fear for their life. Like, I even asked her, are these still empty fears? Or, like, are you still living in fear when someone's saying the things they're saying? I think it's so much deeper than what we even know. And I think what she said about his business partner... I think he is so, so involved. And if you did some digging on that individual, there would be some deep, deep things going on there too. Well, I already read an article on TMZ that he's like uh, Netflix season desisting like the documentary because it's like uh, damaging his name. Good um, luck. And he's and he's trying to get money off it, obviously. You know scumbags. how many attorneys at Netflix probably did due diligence before mm -hmm. putting this out there? Right. You're talking about Netflix, right? A multi, multi, multi billion dollar market cap company. You don't think they did their due diligence before they invested in this and put it out there? Come on. All right. My last question. If you want to keep going, you're the you're in charge of the time here. So you can you know, I'll be here for an hour. Last um, one. Let's but, do it because that was a long one. And I think it's been too emotional. I've never seen you and I get so fired up. So let's do one more. Yeah. OK. Jason Tardick, you're the the founder CEO of Restart. You got a book coming out. This, you mentioned it. I said, you mentioned uh, restart steps to her in the interview. It, you said I, she needs help. She needs someone to help her financially and help her with opportunities. If you were to lay out a really quick restart plan for her, you know, what if it's capitalized on opportunities, if it's payoff debt, if it, if it's just high, go full on PR to try and get it all wiped, 
What's your restart uh, strategy for her? Oh, my restart strategy for her is I would build a board of directors around her immediately. I would get an unbelievable social media agent, an unbelievable talent agent, an unbelievable attorney, an unbelievable book writer, an unbelievable negotiator. I would knock out that debt by working with PR, American Express, based on negotiating and using attorneys. I'd be filing all sorts of lawsuits left and right that I could for what she's had to undergo. And I would be building this brand. I would have so much focus on her social media. She is, people want to hear from her. We want to hear these things that she told us today. She should be telling it every day in her TikTok, in her Twitter, in her Instagram. She could build that platform to be millions and millions. And when she does that, she'll make much more than 300,000, the debt she's in. She could be a professional speaker. She could write a book. There could be a movie. There could be an NFT on this. There could be everything. She has so so much going for her with this story because so many people have been taken advantage of and there's so much that needs to be done. So I, I need this. A, I'd put a team around her and just say full speed. Let's go. I need this little man syndrome. I need him crushed. Uh, when he said, you made me a superstar, oh. choose someone your own size. I was like, I was driving when I heard it. I almost like swerved off the road. Like I'm so angry to see. I, I just need to see her and all the victims, not just her. I need I need to see all the victims rise up. I need them to be able to look down on him for the little scum that he is, gum on the bottom of our shoe. I hope they get all that that they deserve, and if they get all that they deserve, then he'll get what he deserves. Fired up, man. I mean, there's a, a million things that we could talk about, a million things that we could go from from here, but you know, fascinating interview. I know we were both really excited. So I'll tell you um, what though, the story even gets me a little paranoid. No joke. When we wrapped, it was like three hours later and I put it all over my Instagram that interviewing her. I had two notifications, Amex fraud. I swear to God. It, no. I, I had the text message from Amex. Is this Amex fraud? And it was a, and it was a charge. And my oh card my yesterday got declined. I'm like, no. Did this motherfucker like see that I had her on and he's like doing some back end bullshit. Like, so you can see the paranoia and it wasn't, I called, it was something else, you know, so small things undone. Good. No problem. But you could see where this would just yeah. infiltrate your paranoia to the next level. To see her go crash course six weeks of like, basically this relationship was like six weeks, you know, three months from start to like death threats at the end. Um, I don't think he's had someone push back, obviously, as much as, as she has, which I think is great. I think you see some of his like sparse reactions aren't as well thought out as obviously his reactions to get them in the first place. I don't think he's had anyone call him out or do research or stop digging. So many aspects. Everyone on his team should be sick to their stomach, especially that girl with the kid who was a con who who's now taking part of it. 100%. 100%. You said it best. Bring these people down. And also, like for those that are listening who are Bachelor fans, yes, you can fall in love in 150 to 200 hours. Yeah. All those people you watch on television, myself included, fell in love with a lot less time together. That being said, guys, I hope there was something you could take away. One lesson from her story that you can implement towards yours to potentially avoid red flags, avoid uh, fraud. And David, thank you for bringing up the Restart Roadmap book. It's now on pre-sale. You could just go to Amazon, type in the Restart Roadmap. And for anyone that's rethinking critical choices in their life from where they work to where they live, not sure about your next step, 
This is a book that'll help you do that with eight different strategies. Maybe one's applicable, maybe all eight are. So check it out, The Restart Roadmap. And if you enjoyed this episode, guys, please, please give us a five-star review and put it in the comments. We're reading them, we're watching them, and we're looking for your feedback to make sure we're making the most value and the most use of the time you're giving to us. So thank you for being here with us today. Hopefully you thought it was another episode of Trading Secrets that you couldn't afford to miss. This one, this one will have me pissed off for a while, but I can't wait to follow up with her and see all the success she is having. David, thank you for joining me. We'll see you next Monday on another episode of Trading Secrets, one you can't afford to miss.